start the launch sequence. Are your kids ready for life after school? Let's get them ready. Greetings and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the launch sequence. My name is Bill Priestley. Thanks so much for being here as we take a look at what parents, and specifically parents, need to do to help their children launch into careers that are meaningful, passion-filled, and financially sustainable. This is an idea I've been working on and using since 2009, and I'm very excited to bring it to you. I look forward to your questions and comments. I look forward to interacting, making this more of a conversation between you and me about this and uh, bringing my wisdom, also uh, my experience to this um, as well. Before we get started, though, I'd like to do a little bit of a background on me. Why should you be listening uh, to this guy? And and how did you, Bill Priestley, how did you figure out what you wanted to do with your life? Well, let me take you back to the tender age of 12, where my dad asked me a question. And the question is the same one that every young person gets, I think just about every young person gets at some point in their life from somebody. What do you want to do with your life? And my answer at the time was that I wanted to become a sports writer. And I wanted to become a sports writer for three reasons. Number one, you got to go to a sports event. I love sports, and I really just wanted to be around sports all the time. Uh, Number two, you got to write a story about the game. I enjoyed writing. I thought writing about sports would be fun. And then someone would pay you to write an article about that game or that match. And I thought, hey, that's really cool. And so I thought that conversation was over, essentially, when I just said sports writer. But my dad had a great follow-up question to that. And that question was, well, how many sports writers do you read? Silence entered the room and didn't leave for probably another, I don't know, minute and a half or so because I didn't read any other sports writers. My grandfather actually had given me a subscription to Sports Illustrated, um, the old magazine there, the old print magazine, and um, he gave it to me that previous Christmas, and I love Sports Illustrated, but I only really loved it because of the pictures and the graphics. I thought it was a visually stunning publication. I just never read the articles. So when he asked, how many sports writers do you read? I I basically didn't have an answer for him. Flash forward several years, I'm in college, and lo and behold, I'm a sophomore, and I find myself as the sports editor of the campus newspaper. And uh, this was a rather an interesting conundrum that I found myself in when I went to college, first week of college. This is a true story. I went into the student uh, center where the uh, you know the, the lifeblood, if you will, of the campus, of where the students go, and I went downstairs, and basically I, I went down the wrong hallway. Now, this is basic. I got lost in the student center, um, and, and this is the first week of, of school, and being lost in the student center at the university that I went to is kind of akin to a mouse getting lost in a paper bag. Uh, it's almost next to impossible, and uh, basically you have three choices in terms of leaving the building. Uh, and or three choices in attempting to leave the building, and two of those choices will leave the building. The third one does not. And I went down that particular hallway, and I went down this uh, this one hallway, and I saw this 
what I thought was a closet at the end of the hallway. This is a cinder block hallway, uh, no windows, uh, fluorescent lighting. It's definitely kind of in, the, shall we say, the maintenance end of the building, if you will, and uh, kind of grimy. And uh, I saw this, this what I thought was a closet, and it had the word paladin on it. Now, the school that I went to, Furman University, their mascot is the paladin. And I thought, well, I'm a sports fan. I thought, um, this must be the closet where they keep the paladin mascot's uniform. And I'm not someone who tries to ruffle feathers or, or get in anybody's, uh, try, to, try to cross lines that I shouldn't. And uh, But I kind of got it in me that I was going to try and open this door, thinking completely that it was locked and that there was nothing really for me to be had there. Otherwise, I was just there by myself. Nobody was around me. And I put my hand on the doorknob and twisted, and lo and behold, the door fell away, and I fell into, that is not an exaggeration, I fell into the Paladin newspaper office. It's also the name of the campus newspaper. Long story short, year and a half later, I ended up, and I'm the sports editor of the campus newspaper. Now, I had a, uh, uh, one of my writers at the time was a senior. He was the sports director of the campus radio station. And he comes in one day, uh, this is in December or so, and he says, hey, Bill, we're going to do a, a game on the radio tonight. And I was wondering if you would like to do stats for us, which if you're not familiar with that, that's basically marking down statistics, runs, um, things like, you know, uh, we've scored the last six points in a row, such and such has had, you know, now has just uh, got her 10th rebound, things like that. And um, so I said, absolutely, sure, uh, would love to. Just don't put me on the air. And I was dead serious about that because I was absolutely petrified of cameras. I'm absolutely petrified of microphones. Obviously, I've gotten over that at this particular point. More on that later. Um, but you, you get the sense of what I was feeling at that particular time, that anxiety about being, quote-unquote, on air. And he said, sure, no problem. And so we went to the game and did the game. And uh, we had somehow managed, Little Furman University had somehow managed to get Big Bad University of South Carolina to come into our little building and play us out of the SEC. And uh, long story short, we beat the Gamecocks going away. Now, again, this is 1994. Uh, not exactly the, 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 the Gamecocks that we're talking about here in 2024 or so. That's an absolute juggernaut of a team, of course. But, um, but back in 1994, we were having a, a pretty darn good year ourselves and uh, got South Carolina to come in. And uh, there was one particular player, I remember, we were up by, I think, eight or nine, uh, maybe more at that particular point. Got a few minutes left in the game. And uh, we're just looking for a couple more buckets, and maybe we can call this one iced because we had a pretty good lead at that point. And uh, one of our, our, our players, our diminutive point guard, got pinned up against the sideline right in front of our broadcast position. And just to our right is uh, the home team, our, our Furman women's basketball team's uh, bench. And um, she got pinned on the sideline by two very large Gamecocks. And just couldn't figure out what to do at this particular point. And somebody just yelled out from the bench, just throw it cross court. So she jumps out of bounds in the air and just baseball passes the ball as far as she can to the far side of the court where we had one of the best three-point shooters in the country lined up. Feet just a couple of inches behind the three-point line. She had already hit five three-pointers that day and there was nobody within 20 feet of her. And she caught the ball cleanly. Everybody in the building knew what was about to happen. 
shot the basketball. It was like it was in slow motion. It goes through the hoop, through the twine. The, the, the fans inside that little gym absolutely took the roof off with the roar at that particular point. And um, it was an amazing event and one that cemented in my mind. But also, I remember about that moment, Mark, who is my friend, who is the sports director of the, of the radio station, he's, he's doing the play-by-play. And I remember two things about that particular moment. Number one, I, I could do what he was doing. I was very sure that I could do what he was doing. And number two, I was pretty sure I could do it better than he could. Because I realized in that moment that as he was calling the game on the radio, he wasn't care. He didn't care at all about what his mother thought he was saying or what his dad thought he was saying or what his friends thought he was saying. All he was really concerned about at that particular time was giving the listeners the best possible picture of what was happening inside that gym. And, uh, and I realized that's really kind of what I wanted to do in life. Now, you flash back to when I was 12 years old. And my dad gives me that question. And if I wasn't petrified of cameras and microphones at that particular point, and I had said sportscaster instead of sports writer, and he said, well, how many sportscasters do you follow? Now, keep in mind, this is about 1985, 86, somewhere in there or so, still only three networks at that time, ABC, CBS, NBC, that you could get you know, the major sports on. And I could probably run off 15, 20, maybe even 25 sportscasters from that era. I could tell you what I liked about them, what I didn't like about them, what sports they were good at, what sports they weren't good at. You know, it was something that I really delved into. But again, because of my fear about, you know, microphones and cameras, I never even considered that as a possible uh, career path for me there as well. So we go back to college and that moment happens. And I decided that night that what I want to do with my life is I want to become an NCAA Division I sportscaster. Now, Incredibly long story short, 18 years after I made that decision, I got the call to get the job that I really, really wanted. But in the process, I remember thinking if I had never made it there, I wanted to help other people figure out what they want to do with their lives and help them get there as well. So in the middle of those 18 years, I had I went to graduate school. Uh, to get a master's degree specifically around the question of how do you figure out what to do with your life and how to use your education to achieve that career. Part of my background in doing this is that I come from a family of teachers. Uh, My father taught college for 45 years. My mother taught high school and college for 35 years or so. My sister uh, teaches economics at a small college. My brother has taught high school mathematics for as long as I can remember, Um, but I'm the only one that was never a teacher by trade. I did teach for two years, and I'll go into that story a little bit later, but this is kind of the the ilk that I come from, is that I'm from a family of educators. So it's kind of in my blood to be able to teach, and I want to be able to teach you and bring you along this journey. And so here we are, square one of this journey, and I didn't just want to introduce you to me, but I want to uh, introduce you to this process and and really go into a major topic of what I want to talk about here in podcast number one of the launch sequence. And that topic is this. The question you need to ask your child as a parent is the scariest question of all to ask a teenager or young adult or anyone 
for that matter. In other words, talking about that thing, about you know, what do you want to do with your life and so on and so forth, you're not really asking that question per se, but let's back up a little bit. You ask a version of this question every so often. For instance, on your child's birthday, what do you want for your birthday, for school? Where do you want to go to college? What do you want to major in for work? What, what do you want to do with your life for relationships? Who do you want to go to prom with? You know, this, but the scariest question, the scariest question about life after school is this. What do you want? What do you want? Think about that for a second. All of those other questions have qualifiers on them. What present do you want for your birthday? Where do you want to go to college? What do you want to major in? What do you want to do with your life? That's not a question about life. That's a question about work. You know, it's like you go to a dinner party or, you know, go see somebody or meet somebody. They ask, what do you do? Well, what do you do is about work or what do you want to do? Well, what do you want to do is almost always about work. But simply, what do you want? It has no qualifiers, no limitations, no guardrails. Asking your child, what do you want? No safety equipment. Everything is fair game. The true answers to this question come from the most vulnerable places in our hearts and minds. This is the stuff that we hold dear. This is the stuff we desire. This is the stuff that we want. And it's the scariest question for another reason, one that parents can relate to. For years, you've told your child, no, don't touch that. Keep your hands off your sister. No, you can't have another piece of cake. No, you cannot come, come home after 1030. No, you can't drive to a college party when you're 16. Don't do this. Don't do that. Tens of thousands of times. And yet you're throwing this question out there. What do you want? Knowing that whatever they say is justified. What they say comes from their perspective on life. Except if they have a sense that whatever they say is going to be met by a no. Then they're going to be guarded. They might say something they know you will approve of just to get through the conversation. And if this happens, you probably don't have as trusting a relationship as you could with your child. If you want them to be honest with you about this, then they have to have the courage to be honest with you in the past and have not been, quote-unquote, burned by it. If you want them to look towards the life they'll have past the age of 18, past the front door of your house, past dependence on you from an emotional, psychological, financial, or even physical perspective, then you have to let them be honest with you, and you need to be okay with whatever they have to say. What starts the most productive path to a launch sequence is the honest relationship between you and your child. And the most valuable thing about that relationship is that when you ask your child what they want in life, you need to be open and reasonably accepting of what your child wants to do. Now, am I saying that you have to go by whatever they say without an issue? Absolutely not. Many of you might have seen that clip of Andy Taylor from The Andy Griffith Show about what a parent should do when a child starts to make up their own mind about what they want to do in life, and we'll get into that actually in a few more episodes. There are steps between here and there we need to traverse before we talk about that. But they do need to know that their ideas about life are valid, and their success is greatly dependent 
on your support of their ideas. Far and away, studies have shown that the number one factor that raises academic achievement for students has nothing to do with the student. It's if the parents are supportive of the student. Not about the parents complaining to teachers about grades needing to be higher. It's if the parents are supportive of the student trying their best, helping them learn, and being a supportive partner with the teacher. The same is true of adult children going into the workforce in a field in which they want to excel. The more supportive you are of their efforts in the field in which they want to work, the better the chances they have of sticking with it and succeeding because they want to succeed for you too. Think about it. What do you want? Think about it from your own perspective. What do you want, dear listener, to this podcast? It probably doesn't take much to realize that you're playing with dynamite with the answer to that question. It's like the farmer left the gate open, and you can run free if you want to. Now you might ask, Bill, why can't we ask, what do you want to do with your life? Or what do you want to be when you grow up? And all those questions are valid, and yes, you could say that they might engender a response that has something to do with occupation or career. But they also imply a concept of work being a struggle. As we said, the word do, in terms of what do you do, implies work. The question, what do you want to be, implies that there is work to obtain a specific position. And no, I'm not saying that the child shouldn't work. But what I am saying is that if you really take the guardrails off and ask them what they want, if they're honest, they'll give you the best picture they can of what they want their life to be. It's the starting point to which occupation is just one segment. Let's start with the full picture before we jump into how we're going to pay for it. Doing the opposite puts the cart before the horse. What do you want? It's like playing with fire, isn't it? That's why I call this podcast The Launch Sequence. We're trying to get our kids to become independent individuals that are not reliant on us as parents. We want them to become self-sufficient, and part of that is a willingness to leave the nest and launch their own lives. What do you need to launch that rocket into its own new path? You need propulsion, which comes in the form of fire. You need a fire directed at an objective they find more attractive than the situation of living at home. Getting into a long-term relationship means they want to be with someone more than they want to be with their parents. Getting a career means wanting to work on something that is more important to them than their home life. Becoming financially independent means wanting to perhaps start saving for their experiences that they want for themselves. But it all comes back to what do you want? That's where the true launch sequence begins. And in the end, it's really the only thing that truly moves us in life from a point of scarcity to a point of abundance. It's going after what we want. In the next episode of The Launch Sequence, we'll talk about when to ask that question, because it's not just once and be done with it. There are several specific times when you need to see where your child is with this question to make sure that their launch is successful. Thanks for joining us for episode number one. Many more to come here. So I hope you'll stick around and send this to a friend or two that might benefit or have someone they'd like to see do a successful launch. Till then, Bill Priestley quoting Cheryl Sandberg, who once said, what would you do if you weren't afraid? See you next time. The Launch Sequence is the official podcast of the Dream Job Factory. 
For more information, check out our website at dreamjobfactory.com where you can view all of the tools we have to help your child identify a life path. You can also sign up for our newsletter to get the latest podcasts and information in the career discernment space for young people. We also invite you to join our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dream job factory. This has been the launch sequence, giving your kids the keys to launch their careers.